Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring anything to you that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life as of any value or as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone out proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all these things I have shown that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, help our ears to hear and our hearts to believe. Please be with my mouth to speak only that which is true and from you for your people for this hour. We pray that Christ would be honored by the preaching of your word, that we would be sanctified by it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is a very unique passage of scripture. I read that whole section, but we're going to cover it in actually three different weeks. I'm going to break that section down into three sermons. It's such a critical passage for the stage that we're in as a church right now. Uh, and so I don't want to rush over it. I want to really comb through it. So uh, this is going to be week one in this sermon series, uh, which I've called Building on Paul's Foundation. Building on Paul's Foundation. I've heard uh, that the test for quality leadership is not how well something runs while you're there, but how well it runs after you leave. That's very important. Some of us are very good at making sure things get done properly 
but we have no idea how to get the next group of people ready to run it. And as soon as we're gone, the thing falls apart. And sometimes we look at that with pride and we say, look how much they needed me. But the Christian church can't run that way. We can't run that way by saying, you know, I can hold it together, but when I'm gone, all oh, those poor people have no idea what they're doing. Right now we see an example in how Paul is taking his oversight and he's handing it off to somebody else. I told the elders five months ago when, when we began, and that included Art Hackett and uh, Kevin Shaw and Roland Taylor, I said to them, and, and Art has recused himself since, and unfortunately the timing was just terrible with COVID and everything, and so Art has honorably stepped back from the responsibility, but Kevin and Roland are continuing to serve as elders here at the church. And I said to them, our first priority is to begin thinking about the next elders. We don't want to say, oh good, we finally have elders, now we can relax. Because one day, something's going to happen to the three of us men. We don't know what or when, but that's not for us to know. What we want to do is make sure that the next group of men are ready to pick up the torch and to carry on and to serve Smith Falls and Evergreen Chapel in this way. So that's a key priority for us. And we think that that's a priority that comes out of the Word of God. That we want to be ready and the next, we want the next generation of leaders to be ready. So Paul spent a full three years in Ephesus. He says that right in the text. For three years I did not shrink back from speaking to you. Paul gives a warning in this passage and that's why I read the whole thing. Because verse 28 gives us the reason for this whole talk, this whole elders meeting. Verse 28 says that fierce wolves will come in from among you and they will not spare the flock. Ignoring this reality has cost many churches their spiritual life. They've allowed wolves to not only take over, but to harm the sheep, to lead them astray, and to even destroy their faith. This is not something we can ignore. You know, we're sitting outside under the shade, and our lovely kids are running around, and it's like the most dramatically somber message we could have. It's a sobering look into the future. And yet, this is exactly what God would have for us today. So we're going to take this, as I said, we're going to take this speech in three parts. We're going to look at uh, the just down to verse 24 today. So we're looking at 17 to 24. I'm going to read to you, this is what I think is going on in the passage. And you can decide as we're going through whether or not I've, I've got it right. This is my thesis, or this is my argument. By calling the elders forth... Paul practically transfers church oversight from the apostolic gift to the pastoral, leaving them a worthy example to follow and a foundation to build on, and he urges them to keep the church's top priority, which is the witness of the true gospel of Jesus. Basically, if your church isn't doing that, you're not a church. That's what Paul's saying. If you're not witnessing to who Christ is, According to the scriptures, you are not a church. You have been taken over by wolves. So let's look at this in three parts. And this really focuses on elders, this first section. And so I am addressing this very specifically to Roland and Kevin, but also any of you who would consider this church a home and would want to pray for and support your elders, and also whether or not God might be stirring in your heart to one day serve as an elder. You can really see into the responsibility of what is required. 
And so the first thing we're going to see in verses 17 and 18 is that the elders are the first line of defense. The word elders are used here, but it also, uh, in other places in Scripture, they're also described as shepherds. Shepherds are the first line of defense against wolves. That's pretty natural. Some of you have some rural experience, some hobby farming experience. Uh, you know that the sheep are not the first line of defense against wolves. They make a tasty meal. Although, if their, if their wool coat is full, the wolves have a hard time getting to the flesh, right? That's good. That's a natural protection, but that's not enough. Sheep need a shepherd. I apologize for my notes in the wind. I wasn't expecting this breeze, but we'll try to keep it in, in line here. So elders are the first ones called out to meet this challenge. Paul didn't want to stop in Ephesus. He stopped at Miletus and he called the elders to himself. So they had to come and meet him on the shore. He didn't want to make a trip inland. He was on his way, remember, to Jerusalem for the festival. He called the elders because of the role that he expects them to play in the challenges that are coming. I've talked before about the threefold aspect of the elder's office. The office is called elder. The action is shepherding. That's what you do in the office. You shepherd. And then oversight, which they're also called overseers, that's the responsibility, which means you're in charge of the direction that it's going. You're the one looking out over the horizon, making sure you're going the right way. So this meeting has less to do about the office and more to do about the action. He's not calling them to elect some elders. They're already there. So he's focused on, okay, you're in the office. What do you need to do? What action is required right now? We have to take these verses in the context of the whole passage, which, as I said, the main focus of this is verse 28, that wolves are coming. That's why he called an elders meeting. It wasn't because there was, there was a leaky shingle on the roof. It wasn't because the bathrooms didn't get cleaned up last week after DVBS. It's because wolves are coming. That's why he called an elders meeting. Elders meetings should be about real stuff. Elders meetings should be about threats in the church and concerns for the sheep. That's why they're called. They need to be aware and they need to be prepared for the threat. Nothing is more crazy. In, in, in London, they had the air raid sirens, right? And they would ring these sirens because the blitzkrieg would come, the German bombers, and they would bomb the city. That's why the air raid would be to get to the lowest part of your home. If you don't listen to the warning and you're up in the third floor, you're in the most vulnerable part of the house and you're likely to succumb to the bombs. And so a warning requires action. It requires getting ready to be prepared. Fierce wolves will come in and they will not spare the flock, which means they don't care what happens to the sheep. In fact, they're not only going to let them be harmed, they're going to do the harming. That's what wolves do. Wolves don't hire somebody else to do damage. They do it themselves. This is a key task for the shepherd. This is a key task for the shepherd. Do you want to serve the church as an elder one day? Kevin and Roland, for you and, and, and myself to serve faithfully as shepherds right now, this is our key task. Jesus said in John 10, 13, I just want to read that quickly for us. Very famous passage. He said, 
Well, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He who is a hired hand is not a shepherd. He does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and flees. Can you imagine if you hired a servant to watch over your flock that you would get wool from, you would get milk from, you would get lambs from, and you see a wolf coming on the horizon, and you see the guy you hired hop the fence and run off? That's a hired hand. Has no interest in the sheep. He won't spare even one of his own hairs to protect them. This is a hired hand, and Jesus said the true shepherd's not like that. And real elders aren't like that. Real elders see wolves coming, and they get ready. They're prepared. They begin to pray. They begin to read. They begin to teach. They begin to visit and speak with people and encourage them and exhort them. We have to remember also that elders were a priority for young churches. Paul wrote to Titus, I'm writing to you. I left you in Crete so that you would do what hasn't been done yet that remains to be put in order, which is, that's Titus chapter 1, 5 to 9. Great passage on eldership. That you would set elders in every city. Every church needs elders. Every church needs elders, whether you're a small church or a big church. There's no church so small that you don't need elders. Paul said every little church needs their elders. Elders were called to a high standard, 1 Timothy 3. They were called to a high standard in their, in their homes with their family life. They're called to a high moral standard. They're told that Satan is going to lay snares for them. Elders have a target on their back from Satan. These things are not just merely as a showcase of spiritual muscle. Elders are not just to get up and show everybody off. Look how great we are. Look at these are the, these are the most pristine Christians in the group. That's not why elders are called. It's so that with their spiritual muscle, they'll enter spiritual conflict. Because if you have elders who are spiritually weak and morally corrupt, they will be useless in fighting a wolf. Useless. And I say this with great conviction over myself. How ready will I be when wolves come? How useful will I be to, your, to you, to our church? I pray God makes our eldership spiritually strong and ready for this. Now also notice this is not a congregational meeting. Paul, in other parts of the book, he wrote letters to churches. Uh, in Acts chapter 15, he wrote uh, a note to the churches to be circulated among all the churches as to how they were to treat each other. This is an elders meeting. This is a small group. This is a meeting for those who are charged to care for the church. He doesn't need to raise all the fears in the whole congregation and, and get everybody running around. It's a young church probably somewhat immature, and he says to the elders, you are responsible for this. You are the first line of defense. It doesn't mean the church doesn't know, which is why I'm preaching on it to you now. The church has to know what's going on, but the elders are the first line of defense. In fact, one of the jobs of the eldership is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So our job is not to do all of the work, but we are the first line of defense, and we are those to equip you to be prepared to, to train your mind in the scriptures and pray for you. So by God's grace, we pray we do that. Next, we see that elders have a narrow pattern to follow. Likewise, they have a foundation to build upon. That's sort of the same thing. They have a narrow pattern 
and a firm foundation already laid. There's nothing new for elders to do. They don't have a new job, they have a repeating job. Paul says to them, as he, after he called the elders to him, he began speaking. You yourselves know, this is verse, second half of verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and tears and trials that happened to me through the plotting of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the pattern. That's the pattern that Paul left the elders. He didn't just do this to talk about himself. There's many sections in the scriptures where Paul gives like a recap of what he's done. He reminds people of how he got saved. He reminds people what he did. He reminds people of when he got beat up. He reminds people of when he almost died. Paul brings these things up often, and it's not because he loves to talk about himself. He's calling their memory to his witness. One of the reasons as well is that a lot of people slandered Paul. A lot of people misrepresented Paul. A lot of people, after Paul left the church, they would move in and start to badmouth Paul and say, you guys had this guy over? You had this guy preaching in your church? Man, this guy, you don't really, I mean, he's not, he's not very spiritually sound. You can't really believe what Paul was teaching, right? And they would sow discord, they would sow division, and they would sow suspicion in Paul's ministry. So Paul not only had to go and get beat up to plant churches, but then people would come back around and he'd have to go back and convince people that he was really from Jesus Christ, that, that he was sent from the Lord to do this. Paul had like double duty, hard job. He had to do the job in the first place and then he had to convince the people that the job he was doing was good. And this guy had a thankless life. And yet he kept it as the priority of his life. And so he shows them what the cost was of bringing Christ to them. He's like, I didn't just write you guys a book and send it to you from my office. What does he say that he did? From the first day, I served the Lord with humility and tears and trials. He said, I brought the gospel to you at personal cost to myself. It wasn't easy. I had to preach in front of people who hated me. I had to be dragged off and beaten up. I had to do these things. I had to put my body in harm's way for you to know the gospel. Have you ever thought about what it costs somebody to bring you the gospel? Whether it was a relationship they put on the line or whether it was some danger they endured or whether it was some social risk that they put up to bring the gospel to you when you recognize that about another person it draw it, it makes things more clear it's, it's saying I wasn't trying to manipulate you otherwise why would I have risked my own life as Christians we don't try to manipulate people into the gospel we serve Jesus Christ the gospel is for him and whatever cost that it comes to us we gladly endure it Paul maximized every opportunity. He says, I did not shrink back from declaring to you everything that was profitable. 
Again, Lord willing, these are, I mean, these are famous words that, Lord willing, we will model our church after. That there's nothing that we come across that's profitable in the scriptures that we won't share. We're not going to try to bend the edges of the message or leave things out that are offensive or focus on the stuff that makes you feel good. Hopefully we'll just do all of it and we'll let Jesus shepherd us with his word. Jesus knows what we need. And that's why we just go through the text line by line because I don't know what Sunday what every one of you need. But Christ does. Christ does and he shepherds the church. I did not shrink back from declaring to you everything that was profitable. Again, this is Paul leaving the pattern for the elders. So what do elders do? We don't shrink back. We tell you everything that's profitable uh, by God's grace and Lord willing, of course. I, I, I like this. He puts it really simply. And, and he says, I taught all the things in all the ways to all the people. That's a super simple way of remembering how Paul conducted his ministry. All the things in all the ways to all the people. Look at this. I did not shrink back from declaring to you everything that was profitable. That's all the things. Teaching you in public and from house to house, all the ways. I was out in the open. I was in your house. I was on Zoom. I texted you, whatever, in all the ways. And then testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. To all the people. All the things and all the ways to all the people. I, that's a hard ministry to live up to. Who of us can say at the end of our lives, I did all the things and all the ways to all the people? This is how Paul lived. This is how he worked. I mean, he labored. He says day and night. He never quit. This is the, this is the model. This is the pattern for the elders. So he's leaving them a pattern here. Again, we want to recognize that Paul is transferring the responsibility here. Remember, Paul was struck blind on the road to Damascus and he met Jesus almost in the flesh he he literally spoke with Christ and was blinded and, and he was set apart as an instrument of God he had a unique experience that most of us elders don't get we did, that didn't happen that's not how evergreen got planted i didn't receive a blinding vision from heaven i met a guy in a library and was like yeah that's a good idea so we don't get these miraculous uh, interactions, but Paul did, and that's why Paul's is the foundation we want to follow. Anyone who comes to you claiming they had some unique vision that doesn't look like what Paul did, it's not from God. He is saying, follow what I'm doing. Build on my foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.10 says, By the grace of God given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds. Careful how you build. A lot of our house builders are at the swings right now. Um, some house builders are still in the audience. You lay the foundation once. If you, if you, if you lay another foundation, you're building another house. Scripture says we are being built up into a holy dwelling. We are the house that God is building. We're the temple. We're the house of the Lord. So when the foundation drops down in the first century by the apostles preaching, according to Christ being the cornerstone, foundation's done. 
you'd be pretty frustrated if your foundation guys never got off your property. Like, okay, you're done. I want to move the framers in. Paul says now someone else is building on it. The framers come in. And then they start building walls. If you build any framing outside of where there's a foundation, it will either collapse or rot. No framing survives without a foundation. If you build your wall six feet longer than your foundation wall, it's going to fall over. If you build trusses on the top of that wall, it's going to collapse. Well, first it's going to cave in because of the weight, and then water's going to start leaking, then it'll rot, and then it'll collapse, and then you will rent a dumpster. And you'll get rid of it. This is the, there's a reason why the Bible gives us a building metaphor, because God knew we'd be building for the rest of time. The methods of building have changed slightly, but the principles of building are the same. You build where the foundation starts. If I just went through house plans last week. The building, the foundation plans are the same shape as the top floor plans. That's a good sign. You want the building that you're building on top to have the same shape as the foundation. Paul is saying to the elders, I've laid the foundation. Now you build straight up from there. You follow carefully the foundation that I've set out. Friends, this is why we are so in need of the scriptures. This is why I don't stand up this week and say, well, this is what God laid on my heart. Or I went for a walk and I felt God maybe directing me this way or that way. The Holy Spirit leads and guides us absolutely. But I'm dependent on the framework of the scripture and he leads me in that pattern. There's very specific things that he needs to say to you through the text. And the Spirit helps in those applications, but the pattern is already laid. We are all, especially elders, we are like framers and finished carpenters. The plans have dictated the building and the foundation is laid. And so what I want to ask you of the church is to please pray for your elders. Please pray for us. Not because the work is so overwhelming and we want to cry and quit, although sometimes that may be the case, but pray that we would follow the pattern, follow the foundation that we would look at the pattern that Paul laid, that we'd look at the doctrine Paul taught, because that's what you need. You don't need anything unique from us. So please pray for us, that we would be, and watch over us, and, and, and watch us, and, and have a coffee with us if you see us slipping, either in character or in doctrine. You all have the Holy Spirit exactly the same as us. You all have your Bible same as us. Please watch out for that. Please help us in that. My, my kids hold me accountable morally. And I don't say, well, I'm your dad. I get to be, you know, I get to sin. It's very humbling when your six-year-old daughter says, Dad, you just did the thing you told me not to do. That's right. And in the same way, church members can say to their elders, hey, you're preaching one thing, but you're living something else. Like, guard yourself. Paul would later say, watch out for yourselves and the flock. We're not infallible. We're not, you know, we're not miraculously endowed with infallible wisdom. We have the, we have the same book as you. So please watch out for us and help us. And, and on that note, I'll remind you, when we first announced that we'd have elders serving, and it was Kevin, Art, and Roland, it was going to be a six-month training period. Well, the last when I announced that, it was the last time we met in the theater. The theater closed down the next Sunday. 
and so much of the leadership from our elders has been a lot of background stuff, trying to navigate COVID restrictions and trying to help hold the congregation together and encourage people and uh, plan ahead. And But in one month, that six-month period is up. This is September. I don't know which day, but September is the six-month period where, where what we're looking for from you is a reflection on the previous six months. So I would ask you even today, if you belong to this church, start thinking about how this church was different or how you saw the elders serve. What did we do in the last six months uh, that, would, that you would basically say, yeah, you know, we don't see a problem or, or we like the way things are going or, or what have you. We want you to start thinking about that because what we want is your reflection. We want a further affirmation that we're going to actually install uh, ourselves as elders uh, not permanently, but sort of officially. So I just want to put that in your ear that that training period, that examination period is coming to a close. And, I, and I'll help sort of shepherd us through that a little more as we go. But it's a perfect time to mention it this morning. So we need to follow Christ, not the culture. That's the bottom line, right? That's the pattern. Follow Christ, not the culture. Now, <laughs> that's, a, that's sort of a high-level generalization. How do we do that concretely? Our text uh, doesn't leave us hanging. As I say each week, the text does not leave us to guess. Let's look at our final section here in verses 22 to 24. How do we follow Christ, not the world, not the culture? How do we lead the church according to the foundation? Elders keep Christ's priorities. Elders keep Christ's priorities. The practical matter of his departure is what necessitates the preparation of the elders. If Paul never left, he would probably never have to have this meeting. In fact, a lot of the they cry at the end of it. And I can fully relate because Paul was fierce. Paul was fierce. Paul did not mess around. Have you ever read that passage about Peter when Peter was hypocritical? He had to face Paul down toe to toe. Paul says, I contended with Peter to his face. He wasn't afraid to call out his own friends in public. Man, you better watch out if you're at Paul's church. And so the elders thought, well, Paul, if there's wolves coming, you should probably stay. We need you. And I remember even when Doug uh, Ford left this church, uh, the, uh, sort of one of the first founding elders, I did not want him to leave. Because he's much more straightforward with people than I am gifted in. He had no problem saying stuff to some people that they needed to hear it and you know saved us a lot of grief in our early days. But that straightforwardness, that boldness is a gift from God and it's needed in the church. And so I'm sure these elders are thinking, why are you leaving if there's if there's wolves coming? But he tells them how to get ready. He's like, you can do it. You can do it. Man, how many of us just need to speak that way, you know, to the person that we're trying to train in something? Whether it's our kids, our, our, our wife or our husband, if they're, if they're working out something hard and they, they feel like the, the task is too tall, you can do it. Here's how. You can do it. You know, and, and Kevin's daughter, McKenna, got married yesterday and, uh, you know, a young couple just starting out. Are they going to face challenges? Yeah. But can they do it? Yeah. 
You can do it. According to God's word, you can do it. God has, God has given us his spirit to do the things he's, he's called of us. So look what Paul says. I love his testimony here. He says, I don't really know all the things that are going to happen. But I do know that in every city, imprisonment and persecution is waiting for me. Paul's like, yeah, I'm not quite sure what my plans are, but I'm pretty sure going to jail and getting beat up are part of it. Then why are you going? Why are you going, Paul? Why don't you just stay here where we already love you? You've already been beaten up here. They're, they've moved on. You already got your beating here. Stay here. Paul said, no, I've determined that I want to lay a foundation where Christ has not been named. He keeps Christ's priorities. I know that hardship and trial awaits for me. Who signs up for a calling that guarantees discomfort? Who looks up at a job application that says no benefits, no office, no, no roof over your head. You may not get paid every other Friday and your boss is likely going to be abusive. Oh, sign me up. Kevin probably looked at a couple of those thinking, I need something. He knows this is coming. But the reason why, why would he endure this? He tells us, he tells us word for word. He doesn't need, we don't need to guess. Why would you take a job like this? He says, the Holy Spirit constrains me to do it. God has called me to do it. This is why, verse 24, I do not account my life as of any value or precious to myself. He says, my, my life's not value to, valuable to me on its own terms. My life doesn't matter to me if I'm not doing what Christ asked of me. My life isn't significant. What he's saying is it would be better for me to die if I'm not obeying Christ. So what is imprisonment and trials? Because if I'm not serving Christ, I might as well not be alive anyway. That's how he evaluates his priorities. Most of us, we put at top priority, own life. Number one, my life. You know, a lot of us are parents. A lot of us have responsibilities. There's a reasonable, there's a reasonable approach to preserving your own life. Your kids need you. You know, you, we got responsibilities. That's okay. Again, this is not a, a call to nihilistic, silly risk-taking. This is how Paul, and remember he was single, this is how Paul evaluated his life in terms of the cosmic reality. That I don't count my life as valuable. But listen to this. If only that I may. In other words, the value of my life is bound up in these two things. Listen to these two things. How does Paul consider the value of his life? If I may finish my course and the ministry of the gospel, the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Those are the two things. Number one, that I would finish my course. Can I tell you today that that's your priority? That's not unique to the Apostle Paul. That's not unique to the elders. Your priority is to finish your course. And I, and I have to say that that is a higher priority than your life. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Your top priority, friends, is to finish the course that you've begun. 
It's to finish the race. It's to hold fast to the faith. Is it in your heart to reign with Christ forever? Or is your heart's desire to kind of say, let's see what this is about. And if I lose interest, so be it. I gave it a shot. If that's what's in your heart, you will forfeit your soul. Your life is of no ultimate value to you or no ultimate profit. Put it in your heart. Make it the value of your life to finish your course wherever you are. Whether you're a young child or a teenager, finishing your course and Lord willing, most of your course is ahead of you. Some of us, most of our course is behind you, but we all have days to finish because we're all here. There are no dead people listening to this sermon. You all need to finish. You all need to finish and by God's good, faithful hand, you will. Philippians 1 says, I'm convinced that he who began the work in you, he will complete it. So think on that. Reflect on that. Work out your salvation. Test it. And what's the other thing? To complete his ministry. To finish the task. He knows he's got a special race to run. He knows that he might not live a long, luxurious life because of it. But he knows I've been given a special job to testify to the grace of God, to the Jews and, and the Greeks, to lay a foundation of the church, and then to die. He's like one of those beautiful butterflies that comes out for like 22 hours and then is gone. His life is for that purpose. Uh, John Calvin died young. They say he preached four, five, six times a week. And he died young, ill, very ill. And John Piper said of him, if you keep your bow strung that tight for that long, you won't last long either. In other words, we live in mortal bodies and there's only so much we can do. So work hard for Christ and let him decide your days. Do the work that he's given you to do. Friends, this again, this is not just apostolic. Are you a mother? Are you a grandmother? Are you an aspiring student? God's given you a task. He's given you something to do. He's given you a role in your home or in the community or on your sports team. He's given you a role in a ministry. You can do that to God's glory. You don't have to be a scholar or a genius or a, an elder or an apostle. My children have a role in this world. And I, I pray that I can help them discover God's special calling on their life to serve and love Him. So Paul says, these are the two things that make my life meaningful. Finishing the race... And then later in 2 Timothy, he said, I have finished the race. He knows he's about to die. And he says, I'm done. I know that it's over and there's a crown waiting for me. And also that he would complete his ministry. Now, I said elders keep Christ's priorities. What are they? Paul says it very specifically. He says that I would testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's what holds the church together, friends. It's the gospel of the grace of God. That's what holds the church together. Not programming, not financial contributions, not personalities, not talents, not a building. You don't need that stuff. It's helpful, it's useful, but it's the gospel of the grace of God that holds the church together. And Paul says, that's it, that's my focus, and that needs to be your focus, elders. Testify to it. So this is an important meeting for the elders. Think on this as we grow as a church. This is what's ahead. And we're going to get into the specifics of the, the wolves and the care and all that in the next couple weeks. 
But just as I close, let me summarize by saying this: that this reality <clears throat> gives us the reason why Paul called the meeting, that wolves threaten the great instrument of Jesus' glory on the earth. We have to recognize, and don't forget this, that the church is critical to this mission. There was a movement, and I, and I think by God's grace it's passing away, that really de-emphasized the church. And there was parts of it that were helpful because it, evangelism used to be you need to come to church. And if you come to church, then you're good. You're a Christian. Well, evangelists started thinking, well, that's not right because people can come to church and never know Jesus Christ personally. Jesus himself said that. So then the, the emphasis moved to, well, it's about you and Jesus. It's just about you and Jesus and your heart, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And that emphasized an important reality of the gospel, which was you need to make a personal interaction with Christ. You can't just hang out with your buddy who's a good Christian and say, you know, I'm with him. Your heart needs to be forgiven and transformed. That was true. But unfortunately, that sort of grew beyond what it meant to into this thing that, well, the church doesn't really matter. You can worship with a podcast by yourself in a car, and that's church. Or you can go have you know, drinks with a friend in a bar, and if you're talking about God, well, then that's your church. Both of those things are great and, and nice. Chatting with a friend over a pint about the Lord or listening to a podcast, those are beautiful, wonderful things. But they're not church. And wolves attack the church. Yeah, you'll be attacked personally, but you will see attacks, and you'll see it in the day that we're in right now, is that churches will be attacked main big churches that you thought would never fail never fall apart they'll be attacked by wolves because it's the church that stands as the public gathering and witness of god's people and satan wants to destroy the church satan wants to destroy elders who oversee the church he'll set snares for them you ever heard of a, a pastoral scandal probably a few because satan goes for them he lays traps for them don't forget how important the church is to Jesus Christ. The church is not important to me, ultimately, although it is. It's Christ who died, and we're going to look at that later. It's Christ who gave his blood for the church. And wolves threaten this instrument. So thank you for assembling as the church this morning. Our elders are here. Our people are here. Our children are here. The word of God is here. And the worship is, is the, of the saints are here. Prayer is here. This is the church. Make no mistake. Thank you for assembling as the church this morning. The work that God accomplishes through us this morning will not be destroyed. It will endure until the last day. Did you know that? The work that God has done here this morning is eternal. It's already done. Satan cannot push it back. So thank you. We need to remember that elders are the first line of defense in such battles. Elders are the first line. They need to be ready. They need to be strong. They need to be sharp, spiritually ready. And that elders put themselves in harm's way to defend the church. That's the pattern. They use the pattern of preaching and teaching and correcting to help protect and heal the church. Remember, the church is not for us. A lot of people don't like elders or the idea of elders because they think that elders are there to defend their own turf and a lot of elders have done that for sure you probably have had some bad experiences with elders sometimes we can be a, a rude bunch 
but we're not here to defend our territory. We're not here to have things go our way. We're here to try to lead the church into the truth of God's word so that you can live the Christian life peaceably and quietly as you've been commanded. So we pray that by God's grace, the church is, is grown and protected and loved through your elders and ultimately through Jesus Christ. Uh, so I just, I love that little picture there, that little meeting that Paul gives us as an insight into the threat. And I pray that this will be at the forefront of our minds as a church. We defend the truth by singing it and praying it and preaching it and laughing and hugging each other and, and loving being the church. That is the best weapon against, the, against wolves. The church that's just too darn happy being the church in the truth to have any time for false teaching or flattery. We're not here for it. We're here for the word of God. So thank you again just for being the church. It, it's been a major blessing to me and, and me and my family have been so enriched by you and your love for us and for each other. And I'm just thankful for that. So let me uh, pray and then we're gonna close with another hymn.